everyone. This is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Monday, May 13th, uh, 2019. Um, I'm joined on the call today with uh, the usual suspects from more insights, uh, Will Townsend and Anshel Sag. Guys, introduce yourselves, starting with Will. Hey, Mark. Will Townsend here. I cover networking infrastructure for the firm. Great. And I'm Anshul Sag. I work for More Insights as well, and I cover client computing, which incorporates smartphones, PCs, tablets, as well as AR, VR, and I also cover 5G. Yes, he does. And he does it in such a fabulous well, job. So do- it's crazy. Well, so... <laughs> uh. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, yeah, Will. Yeah, that's right. I thought you were going to make a sarcastic comment, but uh, please save. No, uh, uh, no, no. Angel and I were um, we uh, were we're two in a box when it comes to covering five G. Uh, I cover more of the infrastructure. He covers more of the in-device stuffs. So all good. Yeah. Well, and five G is such a huge topic. You need lots of people to cover it because it's just, there's just so many moving pieces with it. But anyway, let's start with something that's actually very newsworthy. What broke on the. Uh, on the wire, so to speak, not an hour or two ago, was the Supreme Court um, is letting a a, um, a case go forward with Apple um, uh, and on their iTunes store apps on the uh, on the App Store, I should say, really to be very specific, which um, I think surprised a few people. It was a close decision; it was five to four. Now, it doesn't really change anything per se from an Apple standpoint, but the point is, is that it's it's their. Um, they, uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision um, was uh, validated by the court, so that decision obviously probably will be now will be um, adjudicated in front of the real Supreme Court, the Supremes, as they say. And I know that both Anshel and uh, Will will have some very colorful opinions about it. So, uh, Anshel, let's start with you. What, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I think that lawsuit is potentially very damaging to Apple. Um, if that lawsuit were to move forward, it would threaten the entirety of Apple's, you know, closed ecosystem that they've been fighting for for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's even more astonishing is it also threatens Apple's potential growth opportunities that they've been, you know, pursuing in the last few months with their new services. Right. Um, so it's going to make their their services a lot less. Um, you know, attractive to investors because their services are going to be less competitive inside of Apple's ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will open, it could theoretically open their walled garden of sorts to others uh, that they currently don't allow or make it more difficult to compete with. So uh, I think it, it it's a very big threat to Apple services business. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's spot on. I think there's no question that there's uh, there's probably a lot of concern going on right now in Cupertino, uh, right now, or I should say Sunnyvale because that's where they all are now at the big uh, spaceship uh, campus. Um, but there's certainly going to be some concern there because um, it has a number of different interesting implications. You know, I mean, I'm, if, if App, I'm sure Apple's going to argue. They really have to have this. Um, they have to really maintain the the status quo with with their app store right now because there's a, a number of things that allows them to do that allows them to <coughs> validate applications, make sure they're bulletproof. I mean, there's a lot, there's certainly a lot of infrastructure defense mechanisms they'll probably appeal to, but at the same time, I think you're exactly right. I mean, this uh, Anshel, I think it has a chance of uh, you know putting a major dent 
in in the um, uh, in that uh, walled garden approach that they've taken very they've implemented very successfully since really day one. Um, and uh, uh, what, Will, what's your thoughts? Well, you know, I, I would argue that, you know, that, that approach, that walled garden approach, you know, it's, it's made their products more expensive. You know, that's probably by design a position that was a like, you know, consumer, consumer device. And of course that affords, you know, a lot of, um, you know, uh, opportunity to ensure, you know, pretty widespread, you know, compatibility. But, you know, what, what I see just from a general trend, when you look, you know, kind of in the networking space and you look at open source and you look at the, just the antithesis of the walled carton where you know you've got a potentially a much larger ecosystem more folks developing into it and you're starting to see an explosion there and lots of companies are getting getting behind open source now you know all the major tech companies you know with the exception of apple you know you could you could name intel even companies like ericsson that have been traditionally um, very proprietary in their approach Mm-hmm. So um, I think you know uh, it's it's served up for a number of years, but you know we, we've seen some drop off and uh, you know growth of their you know of the iPhone business, and you know you get to a, I think you get to a saturation point as well. And I I also think I'd love love to get y'all's opinion on this. I, I think now today you know kind of Apple was the cool kid on the block, and now they're viewed as like this huge you know you know comp you know corporate structure evil corporate empire and and people are actually you know they're painting targets on apple now and, and, and wanting them to fail you know so i, I don't know what y'all's thoughts are well uh, you know i think that's the, sort of the impression the, i get no i don't think that's inaccurate I, I think one of the big challenges they've had is you know they charge a commission of 30 percent when you sell an app on the app store that's a lot of money that's a lot of yeah. um you know and you almost wonder that if it, if it was a lot lower, let's say it was five or ten or fifteen percent, if it was half that, you know, would this lawsuit have even started to, to begin with? I mean, I, I don't think anybody debates that Apple. You know, there are there are you know overhead charges that they have in terms of making sure that the apps are validated properly. That the, there is you know there is value, I think, to to a general a- Apple user in terms of making sure that the app their apps have been validated properly and been tested properly, and it's the right content. You know, because Apple, you know, does kind of have kind of a, um, you know, kind of a G-rated um, approach toward apps. It's not always true, but I, mean, I think they like that reputation. But, um, you know, 30% is a lot. And, and, and the other piece, too, is now with Apple services now, um, Apple's now starting to compete very heavily in spaces they didn't ha- uh, compete with before. So if you have an Apple app, so to speak, or an Apple service that competes with someone else's service, you know, Apple has a much deeper pockets. And that puts them at much. Even if they validate, if, if even if you're willing to accept the 30% commission and sell your app, or or you know use the app store as a as a um, a venue to a service, you know getting a get a 30 a 30% commission hit is a big deal. That it's it's hard to compete with if you're a small sure. guy. Wouldn't you wouldn't you agree with that, Anshel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even if you're not a small guy, you know the guys from Spotify are not small, and it's taking a significant chunk out of their business because they can't charge, you know, Apple users more money to make up for that 30% cut that Apple takes out of people's Spotify subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So the the way they see it is like they're losing a huge chunk of revenue in a business that's very low margin as it is already because mm-hmm. they're trying to survive 
on you know ten bucks a month while paying out billions of dollars in royalties to the music industry every single year. So you know I'm sure Spotify is not alone in this, um, but they're the ones with the most lawyers in the deepest pockets to really push this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are working together to get these class actions going because you know Apple has become such a big ecosystem now that it's almost unacceptable to people that Apple can continue to protect such a large swath of the digital economy to themselves. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. It's going to be an interesting um, interesting decision, and that will probably be one of those Supreme Court hearings that you you really want to listen into when they because they do record the audio. Most a lot of people don't realize that that when they when there's a Supreme Court case that's um, uh, held. Uh, the uh, the oral arguments are all recorded that you can listen to, and it's always to me it's always fascinating when you hear the Supreme Court justices, the individual ones, ask certain questions to try to kind of delve. You kind of try to gleam into what you think they're where they're gonna where their heads are and where they think right. they're gonna end up. Which that is always the case, by the way. There's many cases it, that it'll it'll be interesting to see how the Supreme Court justices, whom are predominantly of older age, will deal with this idea of app ecosystems and you know. Um, walled gardens and these are all kinds of concepts that almost seem insane in the real world right um and 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 are hard for someone to comprehend unless they use these things often and daily so it'll be interesting to see how they interpret if this if it ends up going back to the supreme court after (laughs) a ruling is 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 found in a lower court you you know i i you know remember what happened go ahead no i was just gonna say i just remember what happened when when and Zuckerberg was on Capitol Hill, right? And some of the inane questions that were coming from from our, our leadership in, in, in Washington. So, yeah, I agree with Angela for sure. I think there is a Saturday Night Live skit in the making here, you know, in terms of can you can you imagine <laughs> what you could come up with for this particular case for an SNL skit? Um, in terms right. of the kind of questions that Ruth Bader Ginsburg would have. <laughs> what, what, is, what does the I stand for an iTunes council? No, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to pick on her. So anyway, uh, you know, the, the, uh, what I do want to squeeze in here is um, I want to make sure we address an event that, um, that well, you attended last week, and a, a, yeah. a, a very prominent 5G event. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, light reading, <clears throat> they um, they do a lot of activities, um, some something similar to, to what our firm does, but they, they they do they host a lot of events, and so they hosted a rebranded event that was in Austin the last two years, and they they they, uh, they labeled it uh, Big Five G. So as you can imagine, lots of discussion around five G. What what I kind of my big takeaways were, you know, one less about talking about the speeds and feeds and the shiny object that we tend to do. Uh, in the tech industry and more on uh, applications, use cases, and, and you know, sort of business development, you know, monetization um, opportunities for the carrier. So it was, you know, it was, it was a pretty large swath, you know, from an audience perspective. You know, I, I think there were people there from, from enterprises that were wanting to learn more, uh, certainly operators, uh, carriers, as well as the big infrastructure providers. I'll, I'll note one thing that was interesting. Uh, Huawei had a breakout uh, uh, breakfast panel the second day and you know i have attended a lot of regional events and i'm sure Angel has as well in the u.s and typically you just see huawei when they're you know when they're at a show in the u.s they're on a banner they're on a water bottle um but uh, this 
this was the first time I saw them sort of come off the sideline, and they brought in their CTO, Paul Scanlon, uh, Joy Tan, who is their corporate communications uh, lead, uh, was there as well, and, and they, they really tried to address head-on um, you know, some of the concerns that the U.S. has brought about you know, with, uh, with their 5G infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. Uh, interesting. Do, do, what, any tangible things that came out of the event? Uh, yeah, other than... yeah. Yeah, well, I would say, you know, I'll, I'll say one takeaway from the Huawei, uh, you know, discussion was um, a focus on, you know, you know, you know, really talking about the fact that, you know, data management and, you know, uh, you know, access to data is not driven by the infrastructure provider, the person that builds the equipment. It's the carrier. It's the operator. So, and, you know, they really, they really kind of, you know, focused on that and talked about that and, and basically said, hey, listen, once we sell our equipment in, you know, we've got no control over how that data is managed or, you know, how it's, uh, you know, you know, basically used. And, and so, uh, you know, that, that was sort of, uh, you know, kind of their, their, their big, sticking point there and but you know fr from you know kind of at a high level you know my, my takeaway from the show was hey you know uh, 5g is here you know new radio uh the the you know uh, hardened technical spec is here and of course as you know Angela knows that's always sort of going through kind of iterations with these you know revisions and release uh release numbers but you know the operators are beginning you know this is a u.s show they spoke to everyone's first, right, in some way, shape, or form. But the operators are deploying, and you know, five G is real, and you know, we're going to be seeing it this year. Anshel, any thoughts uh, on uh, the follow up on? Well, I, I honestly think it's interesting to see that they're taking a more active role, um, because I think the reason why Will even brings it up is because they've been very quiet and very passive on the U.S. market. Um, in the last couple of years because of what's been happening with the political climate. So I think it's interesting to see that they're, you know, re-engaging and getting more active in the U.S. market than they have been in the maybe the last year or two. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree. There's going to be a lot more to come. I mean, you know, 5G is such a big, expansive topic. And, you know, and now, you know, it's, it's what I find now that, and I'm sure that you guys find the same thing. I'm getting more and more people who are not, you know, non-technical people in my life, you know, family members or just friends. And now the whole 5G topic is now starting to percolate with people saying, mm, you know, is this 5G thing going to be the, is it going to be the uh, the salvation, or maybe not salvation, wrong word, maybe is it going to be the, the, the blowout performance um, uh, technology that's going to force me to upgrade my phone or want to make me want to upgrade your phone. So people are, star are starting now to ask the right questions. Um, but I think, uh, and Will, you've made this point several times, is that the 5G mm -hmm. rollout is not going to be a, a light switch. It's not going to be, hey, you know, you, you, know, you right. wake up the following morning with the, right, with the phone and the right service, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, the world is a different place. I mean, it certainly has that potential, but there's going to be, um, it's going to be a rather, you know, um, I wouldn't say it's going to be a flat, you know, takeoff, but it's not going to be a, um, a, you know, a, a tremendous, you know, ramp right off the, right off the aircraft carrier, so to speak. Right. Nope. Totally agree. Yeah, it'll it'll take several years for us to get to like you know true ubiquity. But if you live in a major metropolitan area, at least in the U.S., um, parts of Asia, China, um, you'll start you'll start seeing it. So uh, let's you know before we uh, 
Well, let, let's uh, flip our attention right now to uh, last week. Um, uh, Google had their Google I/O function, and obviously, one of, there was several interesting things that came out of it. But one of the big things I'd like to get Anshel's um, view on is they came out with um, a couple of new phones, the Pixel 3a and the 3a XL. And you know, to me, and I'll Anshel jump into it. What I thought was kind of interesting is that they've the the, the initial reviews have actually been quite positive. You know, in terms of the value and and the price points they've hit, um, they're you know they're not um, they're not uh, um, um, weakling type of phones. They're pretty you know I think they're pretty high performance. But Ansha, what what's it, what are your thoughts? Well, the interesting thing is the Pixel Three A has a lot of the same capabilities as the Pixel Three that came out last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously come offering them at a slower performance and much lower price um the 399 price point is very attractive to a lot of people and it gives people access to the you know the best in google's software Mm -hmm. um and the best google software experience at a much lower price point and i think a lot of the reviewers i've been talking to um that have already been reviewing these phones have all been very positive about them and say that it's pretty much one of the best values that's out there today in terms of Android devices. Um, and it's partially because the camera is still very good and it still produces great results. Um, and at the same time, um, it still gives you the latest software updates so you get the you know the best security possible for Android. And it's also ensuring that you, know, you can access Google Fi at a very low price of device. And overall, I just think it's, it's a really good move for Google. And frankly, you know, it kind of brings Google back to the original form of why they were doing Google phones to begin with. Because the original Google phones, um, with the exception of the first Nexus One, um, were, were actually targeted at a much more affordable audience um, and trying to encourage people to look at Google phones as an alternative. Um, and now it's, you know, the Pixel is a very expensive device and a very high-end device. And it kind of moved away from the people who had originally bought the Pixel, well, not the Pixel, but the Google phones, mm-hmm. because they were a really good value and also a great software experience. So I think this is kind of more of a return to form, which is why I think a lot of people who are big fans of Android and Google in general um, were very happy to see this because it feels like you know Google's returning to the way they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, I think it's just a good move overall. And I noticed that you know some of the things that are done on the Pixel Three are being able to be done on the Pixel Three A as well, but at a little bit slower. You know, like the processing time is just a little longer, um, but at you know half the price effectively is pretty good. Um, the other thing is is that it has a headphone jack, mm-hmm. which the the main Pixel does not have. Right. And you know, a lot of people are really upset about not having a headphone jack. So yeah, no, they find value in that. Absolutely, sure. And yeah, they're really just doing a good job of making it a very value-friendly device. And I think it's going to do pretty well, especially if Google knows how to market it. Uh, let, let me. Well, well, it's, it, I want to ask this question to either Will or Anshul. I'm sure you'll have a view on this. Is that? And I know a lot of. I get a lot of um, queries from friends of mine. You know, one of the re- and it's, and it appeals to me. One of the reasons why I stay in the Apple ecosystem is really because of my family. You know, my I tend to be the IT person for my entire family, as I'm sure both you guys are, and I find it easier for mm-hmm. my family to have 
Apple OS devices. So if I have to troubleshoot them, you know, I don't have to worry about what version of Android do you have, you know? And the, yeah. the, the appeal of, of the, to me, the Pixel phones has always been that same kind of thing. If you buy a Pixel phone, you know, you're, you're uh, going to have a similar or you know, the same version of operating system of Android versus buying a Samsung phone, which they have so many different flavors of Samsung phones that there could be multiple versions of Android on those phones and it could make, difficult, it could make troubleshooting um, a bit difficult in some cases. So what are your thoughts on that for someone who's trying, who may want to get out of the Apple ecosystem, may jump into the Android ecosystem and that whole issue between you know, getting a Pixel-based phone versus getting a Samsung or another Android-class phone. Are there any benefits uh, to um, along those lines from an, from a Pixel standpoint? All it is, I'll take that one. Well, yeah, I think, you know, Pixel is designed to be the most simplified user experience. Um, and when it comes to managing family, friends, family and friends, um, you know, the Pixel is the, the, the easiest way to manage updates and things like that. So the way I look at it is um, if I don't want to have to worry about somebody's phone being up to date and being secure, I would give them a Pixel. And the 3A is a really easy way and cheap way of doing that. Mm -hmm. So um, I see the Pixel 3A as a very attractive device for many reasons, including security. Because mm -hmm. even Apple... Um, you know, they don't push software updates as often as Google does. Mm -hmm. And um, Google has a really good track record of responding to, you know, vulnerabilities and, and patching problems very quickly. So having that, you know, direct pipe to Google and not having to wait for the carriers or for the um, OEMs to do something about the update um, just means that you get that security patch done much more quickly, which means you're safer, faster mm -hmm. than everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I mean, if I were to suggest a device to somebody right now that doesn't need a flagship phone, I'd probably be a 3A. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, that that's, uh, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the other couple of things that were interesting that came out of the Google I.O. announcement is that from a smart home standpoint, um, they uh, they merged the Google and Nest brands together, uh, which was kind of interesting. You know, Nest has been kind of that, that um, had, was really kind of the first product on the market several years ago to place smart home capability around the thermostat in your home. And it was a brilliant product. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Google went out and acquired them. And it, was, it was a big acquisition for them. But, you know, there's been a number of different products outside of Nest that Google has announced, <coughs> and now they're, they're bringing everything together under one brand. Um, they announced a Hub Max, which is a $230 smart display, which is kind of an interesting um, a product. It's, you know, it's a kind of a larger version, frankly, of the Home Hub. But it's interesting to me how, you know, Google themselves understands the value of simplification from a branding standpoint. So they're bringing this all together under a single brand and um now the interesting thing is you know is that they they're winding down the works with nest developer program which was a big deal from a smart home device standpoint and uh it's gonna be interesting to see <coughs> the way that 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 plays out because even things like right now i got a call from a friend over the weekend that ifttt which is a big um uh, very popular um uh, uh smart home scheme where you can you can automate you know a lot of um uh, disparate devices. Apparently, it breaks 
um, and 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 uh, with the uh, the new um, the new uh, Nest pro uh, the new program that Google has put in place. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and the other thing that I thought was interesting too, just to get this in there, was that there really wasn't a lot of news about Stadia at the I/O announcement. They did show off their new controllers, which apparently, you know, from a controller standpoint, if you're that type of person, they're really high, you know, high quality and, and very highly durable. But there wasn't a lot more detail announced about pricing or what games are going to be available in the Stadia um, uh, in the Stadia program. So that will be interesting to see how that uh, how that plays out. But um, one final topic I would like to, us to talk about because it happened in a big way last week is that the um, the uh, one of the one of the founders the, one of the co-founders of uh, Facebook <coughs> uh, last week wrote a very highly visible um, um, op-ed piece uh, and I think it was if I'm not mistaken I believe it was in the New York Times if I'm not mistaken arguing that Facebook should be uh, broken up and uh, there's been a lot of um, uh, you know, noise that have kind of fell out of that story. Um, in fact, I read a number of stories this morning about in terms of, hey, you know, that you know, it's now now time for Facebook to face the music because this is really the only way you can kind of tame this humongous beast, social media beast. An um, Ancha, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have, uh, I know you're a huge Facebook fan. I mean, I'm saying that sarcastically. I, <laughs> I, uh, uh, but, um, you know, I, you know and I, I've become... I'm not as cynical as I am. I, you know, I don't really believe that, and this is speaking for myself, not for more insights, but speaking for myself, I don't believe that Facebook has people that are trying to, you know, uh, undermine everyone's privacy. You know, I, and maybe that might be too quixotic for me to say something like that, but they just make so many blunders that they, they, they just do things in such a way sometimes that they kind of, that they kind of cr create that perception that there is kind of like a Dr. Evil somewhere in Mountain View, you know, out uh, to really, you know, to really expose everyone's private details <laughs> of their lives. But, you know, but, but, uh, Ancha, I want to just get your perspective because I know you'll have a, a, a very considerate view on that. Yeah, so I actually think that um, Mark Zuckerberg is a very intelligent person and that these things have been thought through and that they've chosen to take a certain path and these blunders that apparently have occurred, um, in my opinion, are just a, a result of gross negligence. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why they will probably be fined by the FTC for $5 billion. Um, but which is, a, which I, is a, By the way, which is a drop in the bucket. I mean, if that's, yeah. just, if that's, that's not going to change behavior. No. I mean, ultimately, the, the problem is, is that, and this is me, the economist speaking, uh, they should have never been allowed to get this big. Um, yeah, right. I, I think there's a lot of prop. I think a lot of the problems in, you know, American tech sector today is a result of tech companies being allowed to get too big, and and once they get too big, they they're impossible to stop, mm -hmm. and no amount of money you can levy against them will really make a meaningful impact because their lawyers will fight your 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 you know fines to the point where they become you know small penances and then it's mm -hmm. not really a very impactful thing right um so ultimately you know breaking up companies is a good thing um because i think smaller companies are more competitive and more agile and i don't think there are certain companies that necessarily need to be big in order to be able to scale 
especially with all this cloud infrastructure that we have today. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think ultimately, um, the, the thing is, is that they control a large swath of the social media in the world. And um, I think the ultimate problem specifically around Facebook is for they were un, completely unregulated for so long mm -hmm. that it became a problem to even try and regulate them because right. things had already gone so far awry, you know, security, privacy, you know, if you want to go there, election meddling, all these kinds of things could and should have been prevented with appropriate, you know, regulation. Right. But these companies had so much influence in the political circles of both conservative and liberal administrations that they were able to skirt their responsibilities relatively easily. And well, I, at, yeah, no, I, I know where you're going with this, and I agree with that entirely. And, you know, Will made a point a few moments ago is that I think the problem we've had is that we have um, a Congress, both Repu Republicans and Democrats, this is not a, um, a partisan issue, that just don't understand technology. I mean, if, if you looked at the hearings, yeah. if you looked at the hearings last year, many of the questions, frankly, were idiotic because we have we have senators and congressmen that don't get technology. I would, I, you know, I would extend that, by the way, not to turn this into a, um, a a political discussion, but I would extend that, by the way, to what's going on with the tariff situation right now. Is that, and I, I spoke to a, a good friend of mine who is a um, a very very senior person at one of the. Uh, at a technology company out in the Bay Area, and you know he, he is not a big fan of Donald Trump. He'll say that right off the bat. But he understands what he's trying to accomplish from an IP standpoint because the IP theft issue it has really been the problem with China. And I don't think uh, I don't think uh, the government really has understood that. I think they've looked the other way for the last twenty five years and hasn't really understand uh, the what the impact long term. <laughs> that IP theft is, and more importantly, you know, getting China to agree to some type of uh, process that they will adhere to, to adjudicate and solve IP disputes when they come up, because yeah. uh, you know. Well, here's the fundamental problem I think we have, and I agree that the government has been asleep at the wheel, um, but ultimately, this comes down to the fact that American companies that did get hacked, and American companies that did have their IP stolen, for the most part, did not go after those Chinese firms and did not pursue any kind of remittances as a result of these actions mm -hmm. and did not push the U.S. government through their own lobbying to enforce stronger regulations and tighter controls on IP mm -hmm against Chinese firms and the Chinese government. So I think ultimately the problem is, is that a lot of U.S. companies have been very comfortable with the money <coughs> and the profits they've gained from the growth in China mm -hmm. without really acknowledging or accepting that at the same time that they're making these profits, they're also really destroying their potential future for growth. Once those companies take that IP and do something with it. No, I, I think that, you know, Anshel, that's a very insightful point. Because I think what's happened over the last 20 years, because I've dealt with it myself in a number of jobs that I've had, is that when you knew there was an IP transgression, you know, the way you, the, you, you wouldn't look the other way. But the, the argument was, well, if we're doing more business with them and they're giving us more business, you know, we'll let, them, we'll let it slide. 
I mean, that's a very simplified um, um, character, you know, characterization right. of this. But essentially, that's what how many many uh, technology companies have operated, you know, letting things slide. And I think that's a very very damaging thing over the long term because IP at the end of the day, that's the I mean, that's the lifeblood from a tech intellectual asset standpoint that the company has. That's and ultimately what gives you most companies value today. Yes. Right. That, yes. Yeah. Well, well, what are your th closing thoughts on that topic? No, no, I agree. And I agree with Angel. I think a lot of companies have, um, have, you know, kind of just accepted that as the tax for doing business in China. There are some exceptions, you know, Cisco, you know, went after Huawei uh, with regard to some IP theft, I recall, um, several years ago. But yeah, I mean, I, I think finally, all of this is getting exposed. And, you know, and again, you know, to your point, Mark, not to take, you know, one side or the other of, of the political um, arena. The one thing that the Trump administration is bringing to light is, hey, listen, you know, this needs to be addressed. You know, there needs to be, you know, a fair playing field here. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I'll just say in closing here before we sign off is that as I see this, the market's down 550 points today, which no one is really crazy about. You know, my argument would be to people who don't understand what Trump is trying to accomplish on this particular topic is that the economy, the U.S. economy is very strong right now. If there was a time you were going to do this, the time is now. I mean, let's face it, if the uh, U.S. economy was only growing at 1% and uh, unemployment was at 11%, uh, Trump would have a much more difficult time trying to uh, do this. But I think he's in a position of strength, and that's why I think he's doing what he's doing. If you can't do it now, you'll never be able to do it. In any event, Anshel, Will, thanks for calling in to uh, today's podcast. Thanks to everyone in the More Insights and Strategy audience uh, listening in. Please follow us on our social media uh, partners, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and uh, Facebook. And until next time, have a great week.